You know, a big part of our effort here at What Do You Know, historically, is to lighten your load with levity in troubled times. From Reagan all the way through the anticipated Baron von Trump administration, uh, they will insert the von during the Eric Trump administration, mm -hmm. to come. Uh, we've done all the news that isn't Trump, all the news BT before Trump, uh, just two recent attempts of such load lightning levity. Today, another go at answering the musical question, how do you solve a problem like the Donald? <laughs> With our new feature, all the news that's pretty much a crapshoot. <laughs> Got him right here. I if you can hear that. Let's see, Get an audio thing here. Okay, cool. The All the news is pretty much a crapshoot in which we roll the dice thrice to come up with a random date in history, 99.999% uh, of which neglect to mention, even in passing, anything Trump, Trump, or Trump-like. So we can go anywhere in history now with and get that news instead of concentrating on this news, which is overburdened with a certain individual. So let's uh, three rolls. We can get any date in history. Let's start now. That's a six. That's an 11, so we have June the 11th. We roll each one individually now. We get to year two and five. So the year, uh, it's all the news that isn't for June 11th, 1925. God, all I heard was you respirating. That was, was a scary moment for me. Well, what do you know? What do you know? Brought to you by Borukin's Oriental Rugs of Madison. Once you go Bijar, you never go back. Persian B-I-J-A-R.com. Tell Albert Michael Sencha. And by the Wisconsin Greenhouse Company. Sales, installations, lighting, and repairs. Check them out at WisconsinGreenhouseCompany.com. Being a dog, following the dog into a world of smell is the latest from Alexandra Horowitz, who runs the Dog Cognition Lab at Barnard College. To my right is John Tuline, keyboards and offhand remarks. By his side, that's stand-up guy on stand-up bass, oh. Jeff Hammond. Straight ahead, Wasn't so to speak, working. Lyle Anderson, Carol Unner, and phone answerer. And myself, most definitely, Stephanie Lee. And now, the man who genuinely believes his dog Bella has abstract reasoning powers, not just facial tics, Michael Feldman. Yeah, hey. Okay. For a career, it comes up. I didn't see it. It went off. Yes. Yeah, so it's all the news that isn't for. Did you get the concept? It's a. It is a very complicated setup here. All the news that isn't for June eleventh, nineteen twenty-five. Uh, and so, uh, what do we got? Yes, F. Scott F. Scott Fitzgerald's new one, The Great Gatsby, flops, despite good reviews. Millionaires with reckless disregard, reckless disregard for the lives of the poor, it seems, will not be popular for some years to come. And this uh, motorist hotel, they're calling it a motel, is open in San Luis Obispo, California, for motorists needing a pit stop from the long drive between San Francisco to Los Angeles. Some question where the pricey $1.25 a night cost might keep frugal motorists a motoring on. Time will motel. <laughs> Killed them back in 25, I'll tell you that. I'm a little disappointed. 
uh, with the intricate, intricate work on Teddy Roosevelt's mustache completed, the Mount Rushmore Presidential Monument in Keystone, South Dakota, will be ready in the fall for its dedication by President Calvin Coolidge, who, given his low popular standing, has little chance of being added to the giant sculpture. This is killing him. <laughs> this is killing him. Uh, the explorer who led the first expedition to the South Pole, Norwegian Roald Amundsen, will undertake the first air expedition to the North Pole with two flying boats, even if one of them crashes and they have to shovel 600 tons of ice on one day's rations to build an airstrip to allow the overcrowded remaining plane to return despite being thought lost. More on this story as it develops. In Dayton, Tennessee, the Scopes Monkey Trial ends with the monkeys winning. <laughs> Even though evolution teacher John T. Scopes' $100 fine will likely be appealed, the trial establishes a precedent that evolution, while a legitimate science, may not have occurred in Tennessee. <laughs> the New England Journal of Medicine suggests the new science of psychotherapy may be useful in combating mental and nervous disorders in league with the more accepted regimens of electroshock, waterboarding, and lobotomy. Okay. Hard to laugh at those things, I understand that. Uh, John and Horace Dodge, the Dodge brothers, introduced the latest automotive uh, innovation, the special touring car boasting five balloon tires at the, however, balloon price of $1,085 FOB Detroit delivered. The Sears Roebuck catalog opens its first brick and mortar store in Merchandise Mart in Chicago with a diverse assortment of offerings, including tombstones, farm tractors, milking stalls, a hunting lodge ready for assembly, a soda shop, chiropodist, dentist, chiropractor, and an indoor children's playground. No punchline there. I just thought it was a nice collection of things. And, <laughs> uh, the WSM Barn Dance from WSM Radio in Nashville has rebranded itself as the Grand Ole Opry, despite being neither grand nor old nor an Opry. The fashion word for fall 1925 for milady runs from brim turbans, fruit cluster hats, and straw brim hats over princess line dresses with a more fitted feminine look for 1925, uh, down to the white kid and patent leather pumps for her royal feet, while for men it's all swagger hats and brown or blue suits. Okay, and in baseball. <laughs> The Brooklyn Robins pummeled rookie Rogers Hornsby to hand the St. Louis Cardinals a 7-5 loss. That's all news it isn't for June the 11th, 1925. Thank you so much. <laughs> mention of you know who wasn't even born yet. Okay. See the links I go to to try and please you in a minute. The new one by Alexandra Horowitz, ins, uh, who wrote Inside of a Dog, is Being a Dog. So she's going through every end of this particular dog. I don't know if this is hers. I don't think it is, actually. And uh, it's uh, following the dog into a world of smell in this uh, edition, uh, where we look at the amazing features of dogs, including their nose, which uh, any of you who has a dog knows that uh, knows their nose <laughs> is an extraordinary thing, no matter where it goes. And it, uh, it always seems to. And we have uh, Alexandra Horowitz on the line with us from New York City. Alexandra, are you there? I am. How are you? I'm good. How this, are you? I'm fine, thank you. This is not your dog uh, pictured on the book cover, though. No, I, I wish my dogs got on the cover, but they, um, they are not cover dogs. They, this is a, but a nicely <laughs> sniffing dog is why this one was chosen. Yeah. 
I have a dog. I could have loaned you. Very good for covers, I think. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Please, See, Bella. Bella, she's a, she's a half a, a poodle and half beagle, which I don't believe occurs in nature. <laughs> <laughs> no, nature didn't do that. We had to do that. We had to do that, yeah. Uh, and, and this is another bestseller for you. People love their dogs, don't they? I mean, people love their cats. I'll give you that. But they love their dogs as much or more. And maybe they want to find out about their dogs more than they truly really want to find out about their cats' minds. Yeah, yeah. But you know, so much of dog behavior, you think, well, are they putting us on, or are they just, it's what they, how they act. Like, all the love we get from our dogs, is, is that really happening? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is their feeling of love identical to ours? Well, God, yes. I, I kind of hope not. But certainly no. they show all the behaviors that we would call love in people, you know, um, attention to something, to loyalty, um, excitement when... You see the loved object again and sadness when they're gone. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's real emotion. Yeah. It, do the dogs, I mean, what are the dogs thinking, though? I mean, we, we, you know, you're in dog cognition. Right. If we knew the answer to what the dogs were thinking, there wouldn't be a field of dog cognition. You know? And that's the whole <laughs> thing is exploring, you know, what exactly is on their mind. What yeah. are they, how do they perceive the world? And it's still, you know, mostly a mystery to us. Yeah. Is there a field of dog cognition? I, I know yeah. your, your place at, at, at Barnard, but is there, there are a growing field? There a number field? of dog cognition labs now. It yes. actually, um, and there are, and many more in Europe, but there are a few in the states. And we all basically do the same thing, which is study dog behavior or watch dogs or do little simple experiments and um, try to make inferences about what they know, just like you do, would do with any other um, more exotic animal, you know, a chimpanzee yeah. or. Um, people who study monkeys or mammals in the wild. But it's a little different, though, because I had a fruit fly guy on here the other day. Mm. And uh, we talked about fruit flies and the male with the serrated uh, penis, and the female has developed strategies for getting around that, uh, necessarily, like actually becoming imitative of the male, looking like a male, so she didn't have to bother with that thing. <laughs> you know? but, and so, but that was a study in genetics and, sort of, and, and how things evolved. When we look at the, when we study the dog, we don't, they're not genetically even related to humans, right? There's no common ancestor with a dog, is there? Well, all the way back, you know. I mean, the same reason we're interested in the fruit flies is, you know, we all, the genomes, we have something, you know, 70% of our genome is shared with the fruit fly, and, um, but not enough for us to look at the fruit fly's behavior and say, oh, yeah, that just really reminds me of my uncle. Um, yeah. But dogs are a lot closer than that. But, yeah, they, they hadn't been really observed by animal behavior researchers because we mostly started with the really closely related animals, yeah. chimps and bonobos and other um, apes. And dogs then were an afterthought. You know, people thought, we already must know everything about dogs yeah. because there they are in my living room, you know, so I better know everything yeah. about that animal. But yeah. they hadn't ever been studied. And right. uh, so my field is about, yeah, finding out, you know, what their minds are actually like. Yeah. Because actually, your husband's in your living room. What do you know about him? You know, come it's right true. I mean, it's a parallel problem. You know, I can ask him and I can get a response from him, but um, the dogs very rarely answer me in yeah. words. But, you know, in terms of the dog behavior and so forth, understanding dog, what dogs are really like, does that then, are we looking for it to apply to human behavior? Not necessarily. 
necessarily, no. although it sometimes reflects on us. Um, in other words, one of the questions people have about dogs is, geez, why are they, why dogs? You know, why don't we have elephants in the house? Like, why do we not have possums as companion possums and so forth? And, <laughs> and one of the things about dogs is you can look at some of the things they do, like they watch where we're looking. They use our attention very well. They're good at following our, our points, uh, see where we're pointing. Are, are really familiar to us, just are like what young children learn to do. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways it reflects back on some of the things that are important to us in dealing with an animal. We want an animal who kind of seems to get us, and mm-hmm. dogs do. Are, are they pandering to us? Yeah, well, you know, I feel like more the word would be manipulating us, yeah. you know. <laughs> they are pretty good at using our attention um, to get what they want. Mm-hmm. We're slow learners, but eventually we learn what they want and we give it to them. Yeah. So now, for a human being, the, the go-to, if we're in a new situation, the go-to uh, sense we'd use would probably be our eyes first. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We're visual creatures. Right. But for a dog, is the go-to the nose? It is. Yeah, and we all know, anyone who lives with a dog knows the dog is, like, you know, interested in smelling. But I, and in this book, I was really interested in finding out, you know, just how good they are at smelling and what they can do with that, and and also sort of how it changes their way of experiencing the world, and I think it really changes it a lot. So they don't even see the same, see the same things in a room as we do because they're viewing it mostly through its smells more than how it looks. Yeah. In terms of what they're seeing while they're smelling, what are they seeing? Do they have rather poor eyesight? I, no, I, I, their eyesight's perfectly decent. They're yeah. a little nearsighted. Um, yeah. And they don't have three-color vision. They have two-color vision. Mm-hmm. So they can confuse some. It's more, and they have great vision for motion, you know? So every dog you know who can leap up and snatch a Frisbee out of the air, that's right. be, that isn't aided by the fact that they their eyes see motion much better than ours do. Um, so it's just a little different than ours. It's not like it's bad, but our, yeah. you know, our noses are perfectly good noses too, but we just don't use them. Yeah. We don't lead the world with our nose. Well, their nose, are their noses so good that it, that, it, that it leaches into the other senses? For example, is there some nose in what they see? Well, it's in a way, you know, they use, like if you leave the house with your dog, the first thing that your dog is probably doing is smelling what's out in front of your house or on the sidewalk or wherever you live, smelling what's happened, what's gone by, and what's present there. And then they might use their eyes to help guide them to the source of whatever the smell is that they smell. So they stick their nose out, they smell that smells like somebody's recently gone by, and then they use their eyes to find where the person is, and then they might, you know, try to get you, pull you over there so they can smell more, more closely. So they use them in tandem. Yeah. Now, now, there's something that comes in there that's, that's, that's controversial, I think, and uh, you say that male, male dogs will, will go to the butt first when they're smelling. We've all been a part of that uh, scenario, one end or the other. And, but female dogs will go to the face first, will smell the face first. Is that right. just sort of a gender bias, or is that actually happening? Yeah, no, this is true. This is, and this is, if you were in, you know, someone wants to enter a dog cognition, this is the type of research that is done, which is looking at when dogs greet each other, you know, is there a difference between the males and females? And yeah, the males, um, the females tend to go to sniff each other's faces first, tend, on average, and meaning, because there's lots of scents around the eyes, around the ears, around the mouth that say something about who that dog is. But the males um, are more likely to go for the rump first. 
Okay. And that tells us, you know, what they're doing, which is, um, you know, figuring out if they're, um, the female's ready to mate, basically. It's reproductive information they're looking for as much as anything. As much as anything, but yet there's, there's a world to, to choose from there uh, at that locale. There are, a lot, <laughs> there are a lot of smells. I mean, basically every scent that's emanating from the dog or from us is like a signature scent, and it's something about like who that dog is. Um, and that's what they're doing when they stick their noses closely in the fur of another dog is they're getting a really good sense of who that is and, you know, maybe if they're healthy or not. Um, certainly if they're female or male, you know, they don't have to, like, duck under and look under another dog to see if they're female or male. They smell it. Yeah. You smell female or male or, you know, what the sure. dog has eaten, all sorts of information about who that dog is is yeah. in their smell. At the, at, the, at the lab, do we have any idea on how many actually... Comp, how many brain computations that dog is going through uh, on his on his butt sniffing? I mean, is there, it must does his brain light up? There's absolutely yeah. Yes. There's a lot of contemplation on the rump smell. Yeah, I mean, the, in the I don't I don't think it's been studied. Well, you'd have to get a dog, you know, an fMRI, which some people are doing, to look at their brains right. while there's but it's hard to get a dog sniffing another dog. You, know, you would never do that. So you just look at the behavior, and we also happen to know, yeah, there's. They have this olfactory lobe, which is relatively much bigger than ours, which lights up at any smell. And then it will travel, the information will travel to all different parts of the brain, memory, emotion, um, and action. You know, often they smell something and they act on it, right? So mm -hmm. there's a really close connection between smell and action. And the this, this sniff is not just a sniff. It's a very sophisticated mechanism, true? Yeah, there are actually people who study the dog sniff, which, which um, I think is wonderful. And mostly that's because they want to create um, an artificial sniffer, like an uh, electronic nose. And so they're modeling the system, the dog's nose, because it's the best sniffer we know. And these guys discovered all sorts of amazing things about the sniff. One of my favorites is that, you know, well, they sniff much more rapidly than we do. So that's one of the reasons they're better. So they can sniff about five to 10 times a second. Whereas our sniff is like one every second and a half. So much less information gets to our nose. And then they exhale in this amazing way. Well, if you have a bad smell in your nose, you can exhale it out, right? You can just breathe it out by forcefully exhaling. But dogs don't really want to get a smell out of their nose. You know, they want to keep smelling how they're seeing the world. So they have those little side slits at the side of their nose. And it looks like what they do when they exhale is send air out the side slit so that it doesn't actually, they don't have to stop sniffing. They can still be inhaling while they're exhaling the old air. Um, it's kind of a wonderful little mechanism. It hasn't, no electronic nose has ever matched it. Yeah, it's like, like playing a flute kind of. You have to, it is like circular breathing, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Only with noses. Or, and without the flute. And with, and with rump, yeah. So it's different, yeah. but like it. Expi expired canine. Who's the inventor, uh, the discoverer of expired canine nostril air jets? jets? Yeah, a guy yeah. named Gary Settles and Brent Craven, his student at the time, um, who were at, at Penn State. Ah, does he get credit for it, or is it just? Sure, yeah. yeah. But you know, they—that's just a model, and what they're trying to do is build a build a, an electronic nose, and that's the thing that um, has eluded them. I do. I, as a matter of fact, Lyle Anderson, who's a big fan of yours, by the way, bought your book and actually paid for it. I just, wonderful. That's my favorite way of getting it. Yeah. <laughs> and you got the nameplate and everything that you signed. It looks nothing like your name. It just seems a little couple letters there. It's not, 
No, I, no. You know, I mean, I have my dog sign on my book. <laughs> but anyhow, he gave me this article he saw, too, in the, from The Guardian in England. Uh, bomb detector works better with a fake dog nose on, on the end. Really? So, so there you go. Oh, well, the bomb detector, right, but not as good as the dog's nose. The dog's no. nose still surpasses it. But they probably don't want to put a, a dog up there against That's the bomb. That's the key, is that essentially you don't want to send, you yeah. know, ideally we wouldn't be sending dogs out to sniff landmines because... You know, when they discover them, then they've discovered a landmine, which is um, the end of the dog. Yeah. And uh, the other landmark name, I guess, uh, is Stuart uh, Firestein. Yeah. He's an olfactory researcher at Columbia. Yeah. I think I talked to him years ago, I believe, about smell. Back when he was doing, uh, they had a, people would smell other people's armpits for some reason. That's right. Yeah, that's the smell, the human smell research, which I went into a lot also in this book. Cause yeah. My idea was, gee, I need to... I need to be a better smeller myself to understand yeah. what it's like to be a dog. Um, so I need to start using my nose. And one of the studies with human smell are really in their infancy compared to visual studies. And one of the things they do is really just have people smell things and give their impressions. Yeah. Smell each other's armpits, smell each other's T-shirts. Actually, we turn out to be really good at like recognizing the smell of um, people who are related to us or our partners. Mm -hmm. um, if, you, if everybody, you know, a whole bunch of people wear T-shirts and don't put on lotions or wash themselves and yeah. just have this, the smell of, the stink of themselves, we can pick it out. You know, we know, the con we know what our brother smells like precisely, even out of context. So our noses are decent. We just don't usually want to smell that close. Right. Uh, uh, we don't like to smell in this country, do we? I mean... Uh... Yeah, it's we have an aversion to smell, which is kind of a shame. I mean, babies are born with a really good sense of smell, and they're yeah, smelling, and they smell good. Know, smelling a baby is a very is a pleasure. The smell of a baby is great, except, right? Except the some points, it's baby's not. Head is great. We, yeah. you know, we're we and we appreciate that. But then when the baby starts like noticing smells, we never reward them and say like, oh yeah, that's a great smell. We just we we sort of ignore it, and you so say, over time, poo. It seems like we lose. We become thinking that all smells are just good or bad smells, not like just information the way it must be for a dog. Yes, and yet in other cultures, uh, European, let's say, um, smell is very important. Olfaction is, is more important. It's part of getting to know you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all do have a smell. It's, there's good research that says that we, you know, we, we tend to mate with people, we tend to pair up with people who whose smell we like the most. It would be hard to have a partner whose smell you didn't like. You know, so even if it's an unconscious use of the sense, we do, it's important to us somehow. Um, it's, and I, but our culture definitely de-emphasizes that I think some people would like there to be no smells in their days, you know? Yes. I sort of feel that way some days. Some days <laughs> I'd like to, some days I get down with my dog and try to smell what, what uh, she's smelling. And I, you've done that, actually. Yeah. You have to try to increase your smelling abilities. Have you gone out with your dog and tried to smell what they're smelling? Yeah, I figured, hey, they're my informant. So, you know, I, I did this one day. I went out and, um, and took a walk with them. And then whenever they smelled, I would get down on my knees and try to smell. <laughs> and my dog gave me a real look, like, what are you doing? I don't even though, and people sort of take a really wide walk around you when you do this. And I, I, you can smell a lot when you get close to things. That's, yeah. that's actually one of the major tricks that a dog has over us is they stick their nose in, yeah. in things, close yeah. to things. They're and down there's a there. lot more smell, and our noses are just way up in the air. Yeah. So that's a, that helps a lot, even yeah. if I can't smell exactly what this dog was smelling. So what, what did you pick up on, on that? Uh, well, that trip, I, I mean, I, I went right close to one of these tree guards that 
these fences that uh, go around street trees in New York City, and um, <laughs> oh, I, I smell like them. the paint of the tree guard. Like I think it must have been recently, um, <laughs> recently. And I, I actually did follow one of my dogs to um, a dead squirrel on the ground that he was really ah. interested in. And I thought, well, you know, this is I gotta I gotta smell it. I gotta see what it smells like. And it didn't smell um, good, I would say. But it smells, it has a very distinct smell that I didn't know about. It smelled like like a kind of um, sweet and foul at once, like, a, like flowers that have been left too long in um, water. That kind of rotting carnation mm-hmm. smell. Um, a squirrel, huh? a dead squirrel? Was a dead squirrel, yeah. yeah. So like flowers and water, really? I've done that work for yeah. you. But I mean, overall, I really recommend people getting closer to things and, and smelling them. It's, it's really surprising. Every object has a smell, yeah. and we're just missing it. The, the question is, would you roll on a dead carp if, <laughs> if your dog was doing it? Because you, know, you like the smell that much. I, you I wanted to carry it with you. Part. I didn't do the rolling I mean, that's, that's, that's some other book, I guess. <laughs> that's your, your next book, Rolling on a Dead Carp Now with Alexandra Horowitz. Rolling like a dog. Yeah. Because they must, I mean, there are some smells they like so much they want to wear them. It seems like that's, and that's the best theory for why they roll in yeah. things. Wolves do the same behavior, but it's to kind of camouflage themselves. You know, if you're a wolf sneaking into another wolf's territory, then maybe you want to roll in something that that territory smells like so that, you, you know, like maybe you can get away with not being noticed for a little while. But dogs don't have the same territory thing, so it looks like it's sort of just a perfume to them that they. They really love it. It's so good, and they think I want to be covered with this. And now these days, there's the whole field of working dogs, and smell is very much part of a working dog's life, right? And in, ver- yeah. in various fields and, and avocations now. There are huge numbers of detection dogs, and every, every time you're at an airport, you see the police dogs, and their dogs detecting, you know, everything from illegal goods to counterfeit electronics, to bed bugs. They can you know, smell, they can smell counterfeit dog electronics? Smell, yeah. Can a dog smell like a counterfeit elect, uh, yeah. iPhone? Yeah, absolutely. What they do they are smell? They're trained on a component of the electronics, yeah. and they can detect it. And they do that, and I think they can always detect that. It's not like they're taught to smell. They're taught to just notice that, that one particular smell, which they already notice. Um, if they point it out, they'll get to play. That's basically their reward. Mm-hmm. That's the whole training of a detection dog is saying like, okay, giving them the smell that they're supposed to notice, and when they do, they get to play a game of fetch or play with a tug toy. And these dogs are so driven um, that they'll do that. Amazing stuff. And, and even in, in terms of disease. And disease, right. Yeah. There are now these, a lot of research on cancer detection dogs are not clinically used yet, but there were the early studies where owners you know, noticed their dog was sniffing a lot on their leg and kept pushing them away and eventually went to the doctor and found that they had a melanoma and their dog could smell the cancer cells, apparently. So now there are trials about um, training dogs to distinguish smells of different cancers from regular blood or breath or urine smells. And they're really reliable at it. It's, it's amazing work. I won't recommend that people like go home and strip down and like, okay, dogs, like find any cancer on me. But yeah. you know, in theory, they in theory they could. It's just that we don't notice when they're telling me, and they don't know to tell us that yeah. they've found something. So, but I have to say, if I ever notice my dog smelling, you know, a part of my body, a particular lot, one day, then I'll um, I'll check it out. Like I'll see what that is yeah. because they'll notice if there's something diseased or infected. 
Well, that's a little worrisome because my dog uh, dotes on my feet. <laughs> and my dog is forever licking my feet. Do I possibly have, uh, have they, cancer has of the foot? Been licking I, your feet? What? Or your whole life? Has she been licking your feet or did she just start this morning? Well, I've only had her for a year and a half. You know, yeah, two well, years so now. if she's always been interested, then they just must smell amazing. That's all. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and it's a very amazing book, Being a Dog, uh, the latest from Alexandra Horowitz. It's on what, Simon & Schuster, and uh, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks very much for having me. Very interesting. Alexandra Horowitz, ladies and gentlemen. And she is Being a Dog. Get the book, You Can Be Free. What, you're counting in advance now? No. That's nice, because I hate I mean, I say, you know, no, John and Jeff, here's something, then you gotta count it out. You should count when I look at you. Like, oh. you should be counting right now. Oh, you want us just to knock then, it off? Just like, don't no, I'm saying in the best of all possible worlds. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, Jeff, how are you? Because sometimes you like to you talk to You have a dog, don't you, Jeff? Yes. What do you have? A mix, but kind of like a yellow Labrador retriever. Yellow Labrador retriever with, with horns. With, uh, German <laughs> Shepherd ears. German Shepherd ears. Yeah. And its name is Killer. Yeah, yeah, and you got your two higher dogs doing okay? Yeah. Well, that's one of the diabetes, we're, we're getting the insulin. Oh, yeah, that's a drag. Uh -huh. Bad. Yeah. yeah. That's too bad. Nice dog. Yeah, you're a dog guy. I, yeah, I never was. I, you I, know what I, I remember about you is when you used to try and catch your dog's poops before they hit the ground. Oh, yeah. I'm still occasionally <laughs> I think that's it. Anyone else ever I never heard anyone else do that. Would you like, follow your dog with a shovel? <laughs> well, no, a, a bag. Yeah, but isn't it a shovel or something? You try to catch it in a bag held in your hand? <laughs> you got to pick it up anyway. It's, this is Jeff's dog here. I don't know if you can see that. You know, I'm over there. Oh, the cute little dog. It does, you're right. Yeah, this ear is from a different dog, however. Okay, so uh, this, this song here that you didn't count off, what this, is this going to be? We're going to count it off. We're not going to count it off. I'm no. going to count it through the music. Ah, well, that's an innovation. And we're going to play soon.
Very nice, very nicely done, very nice interpretation of that George Gershwin. Are you a dog person? Do you have a dog? I don't have a dog. I've always Do you, wanted you, a did dog. Did you grow up with a dog? Nope. My parents Never wouldn't let me have a dog. They wouldn't let you? What would they yeah. let you have? Anything? Uh, I had a fish. <laughs> you had a fish? And a, and a stray cat that I adopted that I trained to fetch and come when I called its name. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's pretty good for a cat. Yeah, it is pretty good for Usually a cat. Usually they don't condescend to do that. They don't cat descend to do that. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I don't know why that cat was special and did that. But. Yeah, and I don't get why the Egyptians <laughs> didn't worship dogs. Yeah, you know, I don't get they, it either. They went to trouble of embalming all their cats and things. I know they liked them, and they had cat cats mm-hmm. are part of the whole deity thing. Mm-hmm. But dogs were out in the cold. Yeah, it's a modern shame. thing. <laughs> fish, you I, don't get much affection from. No, although I also trained my fish to do tricks, so. Yeah. You trained your fish to do tricks? Yeah, it would follow my finger along the glass and it would jump up out of the water if I flicked my fingertip. Well, everybody does cool. that. Everybody does that for you. It's uh, just some. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you have that kind of mind control over people. I would jump out of the tank for you. Aww. That's amazing. I didn't know you could do that. I'm going down to the audience here. It's actually here in the uh, saloon. I'm on the floor of the saloon now. And how are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Cat person. Yeah. How many cats do you have? Just one? Um, I don't have any now, but I used to have 13. Whoa. <laughs> My mother did, yeah. Your mother had 13 cats? Yes. I don't even know what to say to that. That's kind of, <laughs> I, this is the kind of thing you read in the newspaper. They found her with 13 cats. And, <laughs> and, and I had some other cats myself later. And that, if, you, if you grew up with 13 cats, wouldn't that make you hate cats? No. I loved them all. They were great. <laughs> Any feelings about dogs? Any feelings about dogs? Well, um, my daughter has a dog, my son has a dog, and I'm beginning to be attached to them, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what is that like? Did you think when you were a young child that you actually were a cat? Growing up with 13 cats, you thought you were one? No, but uh, I never thought it was unusual until now. When I look Until just now? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I'm so glad we were able to help you with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. Make you catatonic or something like that. <laughs> this is true. I probably am. What's your name? Darlene. Darlene? Yes. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, but she doesn't have a cat now. I think that's interesting. So maybe she's over it. We got, uh, uh, do you miss us as much as we miss you from Jody Bloomreich? Green Bay. Yes, Jody Moore, I think. <laughs> I miss you much more, Judy. Uh, than, uh, do you miss me? Very much. Really? Yeah. Uh, ex- explain that a little more. <laughs> well, what, what do you miss most about me? Saturday mornings aren't the same without you. Oh. <laughs> For me either. No. We, were, we were driving down from Green Bay to visit our daughter uh, today and listening to radio and um, like... What's Michael Feldman doing right now? So I Googled it, and I'm like, oh, we'll, we'll go see him. Oh, is that how you got, ended up? Yeah. How do you like that? That's serendipity. Or some kind of dipity. I don't know. I think it's serendipity. I pretty much will. Thank you so much. We miss you. Yeah, oh. no, I miss you, too. It's all y'all. But uh, we carry on, and the podcasting is pretty cool. I didn't know you were doing a podcast. Yeah, I know. That's one of the problems with podcasting. 
is that you just do them and then you listen to them and then it's pretty much done. Then you go on to the next podcast. Well, we're going to start listening to it on Saturday mornings because the alternative is not the same. Thank you very much. You're welcome. We appreciate it. Could you subscribe to that podcast? You can subscribe to the podcast. How would, how would one go about doing that? Well, there's a thing called, uh, uh, what's it called? Patreon. iTunes? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, you can actually subscribe. It's on, on iTunes. iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Yeah, but what were you saying, Michael? Well, there's Patreon. Excuse, excuse me. Explain this. To, we, thank you. <laughs> well, I, I don't know much about it, but I've heard it advertised in a number of podcasts. To be a Patreon subscriber, and it's P-A-Y probably is how do you spell it. I mean, you know, dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I neglected to mention it because I didn't know how to pronounce it all, but you can actually subscribe and pay like $3 for a podcast. And it's not much to you, but it's $3 that I don't have now. <laughs> so, well, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Okay, You're worth I'm not trying to nail you down. You're worth it. <laughs> what line are you in? My line? Yes. Uh, is that an old uh, game show or something? Well, yes, what's my line? It's a vocation thing. I'm sorry. I do the bookkeeping for uh, a Milwaukee weekly newspaper. Have you heard of that before? Shepherd Express is what it's called. Very good paper. We love Shepherd Express. Very good publication. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. And you do the bookkeeping for that? Occasionally, yes. Also a writer? Is that, are you trying to work? I don't write, no. There's, there's strict division of labor within the, uh, the office there, yeah. And, but what do you do for your personal satisfaction in life? I do a lot of biking. No, bookkeeping is a very satisfying thing to do, but you, you bike? I do a lot of biking, yeah. Uh, from the east side of Milwaukee to the third ward in Milwaukee, a daily commute. Yeah, back and forth to work. And, I, and I, my question was about bicycling as well. Oh, what is your question? Well, it was uh, today in Milwaukee, there are thousands of blanks bicycling. What are the blanks? Yes. Is it the nude bicycling? <laughs> nude? It's kind of cold. It's 28 degrees. Bookkeeper. <laughs> Bookkeepers are biking nude in Milwaukee today. If you want to get down into the third oh, ward, it'd be worth the drive. It's not nude bookkeepers either. Keep guessing, please. It's, it is cold out, so perhaps some coverage. Santas? Santas. Oh, ah. The nude Santas are bicycling ah. in Milwaukee today, all day today. Just in the morning. From the west side, I think in Wauwatosa somewhere, to the bar. That's great because this will probably be heard like in January of next year. So it'll be a very pleasant memory of seeing all those Santas on bicycles. I actually much prefer it to nude bicycle riders. Nude bicyclists? Yeah, the nude bike ride. Usually we're at a restaurant or something and they all hit a stoplight right at our window there. And it's always the wrong people who do the nude bicycling. Bicycle seats don't do a lot for human anatomy. It's not a good like yeah. presentation yeah. Uh, yes. venue. They can barely support a lot of human anatomy. And so it's a very disturbing thing and pretty much ruins your lunch. But I, I like the idea of Santas. You know, some of those same people dressed up as Santas would be much more appealing. I thought that I ought to dress a little bit like Santa Claus today as well ask. for that reason, yes. Yeah, because you're in like head to toe, red and red white. And white. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Too subtle for Santa Claus, but thank you very much. And your name is? Christian. Nice to meet you. Christian. Okay. Thank you all for coming here to the high noon at noon. We got a little tune here from you. From you, John, and from you, Jeff. To take us home with this edition of the What Do You Know Podcast. Patreon.
edition. podcast is produced, hosted, and no one else to blame by Michael Feldman, made possible by Kickstarter and the best audience a guy ever had, and depends in large measure on John Tuline, Jeff Hammond, Tom Blaine, Aubrey Ralph, Lyle Anderson, Dylan Brogan, Sheila Shigley, and yours, most definitely, Stephanie Lee. Watch us grind our sausage live on YouTube at youtube.com slash user slash whatdoyoutube. Call in to play the quiz at 608-250-3222. Mine a motherload of what do you know nuggets at whatdoyouknow.net. Follow Michael on Twitter at myfeldman and slice the finished salami on iTunes Stitcher, and Google Play. Need to get in touch? Email us at whatdoyouknow2, the number two, at gmail.com. Yes, the number two is very important to remember. Thank you all for coming. You're joining us here at the High Noon Saloon. For What Do You Know at the High Noon, thank you for listening. If, in fact, you are, and why don't you if you're not? Well, that wouldn't make sense either, but thank you. Talk to you again real soon. Thank you.